Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Brooke Baldwin to SALT Talks. Uh, Brooke is a Peabody Award finalist who anchors the 3 p.m. edition of CNN Newsroom. She's also the creator and host of CNN's digital series, American Woman, which focuses on the stories of trailblazing women who have broken barriers in their respective fields and are now helping other women do the same. Brooke's new book, Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power, is a blend of journalism, and personal narrative examining how women have come together in a wide variety of times and places to provide each other with support, empowerment, inspiration, and the strength to solve problems and enact meaningful change. Uh, Brooke has crisscrossed the country to research and write this book, revealing how huddling helps women achieve success in the workplace, affect grassroots change, build confidence during girlhood, maintain better physical and mental health, survive racial and gender-based oppression, and weather the COVID-19 pandemic. By speaking with historians and researchers, uh, Brooke also learned ways that huddling has often been key to women's survival across multiple generations. Hosting today's talk, making her debut here on Salt Talks is a <laughs> Scaramucci, but not Anthony Scaramucci. It's Anthony's wife, Deirdre, who formerly uh, was a director of investor relations at Skybridge. She left that role to help raise a family, uh, but she, she also hosted the Mooch and the Misses podcast alongside Anthony and as a intellectual heavyweight in her own right. And we're very excited to have here, have her here on Salt Talks. And, and I also want to you... say shout out to Brooke for being a, <laughs> a, a North Carolina Tar Heel. I grew tar up in Heels. Oh, yeah. I had to give that shout out to, to all my North Carolinians out and, there. But and now that you introduced Deirdre Scaramucci, this will be my last Salt Talk, Brooke, okay? <laughs> Sure I'm going to be blocked like, out of this I thing. I need double trouble today. Going I forward. need double trouble. So Always I just want to thank trouble. everybody for listening to me during this Salt Talk series. It was very nice <laughs> of all real. of you. It's been a fun run. It's been a fun run. <laughs> I, I look forward to be being replaced by Deirdre Scaramucci. But in the meantime, it's all been good. But Deirdre Scaramucci, take it away. What a book. Well, Brooke, Mrs. Mrs. Mooch. Well, congratulations. Oh, he's still talking. He's always talking. Still talking. Oh, still talking. Still talking. Thank no, you I, for having me. I mean, course. it's been two years since I've had like an adult conversation. So this is very special for me. So I'm honored <laughs> that you asked me to join you. Of course. I and said to your husband, it's a book about, you know, unlocking the power among women. Thank you. Shout out to the book cover. And not that I don't love your husband to death, but, you know, I thought Mrs. Mooch could join. Yeah, of course. I bring the funk. You do. So Bring it. I love the forward, by the way, because moms oh, to, are the best. To my mom, right? yeah. who, by the way, doesn't, I was just texting with her. The book has not landed at her front doorstep yet. So she doesn't even know oh, I dedicated okay, it so to her. Let me not say anything, but no, that's no, no. a very sweet no, thing. No, no, thank you. That will she's make my, her life. She's like, my original huddle. Right. And that will make her life. Yeah. And also she dedicated it on the second half to James. I did. Loving that. Anthony, did you see that? 
I what did, what did I read, read, read what I said to Tammy. Also for James, my husband, thank you for loving me and Pugsley and for being one of many good men who support women huddling. We need and the men the to support the ladies. Oh, it's very, it's very beautiful. Truth. And you know, you know, you know, James is our kind of guy. He's been usually helpful to us and salt. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say this. In 2019. I crack up because I watch, you know, I follow you on Instagram. So I watch you like stalk him and annoy him. <laughs> and every time I see him, He's I like, really, up. Brooke, do we need to do another IG story? Like, like I just, can I just make your breakfast or can I just eat my food and you I not bother it. me? He, you guys have it. like very fun uh, dynamics because he's he so loves dry. It. He loves you guys. And English and you are just spunky. So it's funny. Thank you. Um, Okay, so getting on, let's get to it. So tell us about the book. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's called The Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power. And so how did you come up with this idea of a huddle? So I think growing up in Atlanta, um, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a Georgian, but yes, Chapel Frill undergrad. So growing up in Atlanta, I had, um, I had just a really happy girlhood. I was involved in all kinds of things, whether it was everything from gymnastics before I realized I would be five, nine, whoops, or, you know, tap dancing or soccer, whatever. I was like, I was all about it. And I had lots of awesome huddles as a girl. And I think ultimately then played sports in high school, had huddles, went off to college and then made career my number one. And so when I was graduating Carolina and all of my girlfriends were moving off to New York city and living in, you know, like the East village with five, like illegally with five women and then having a good time and living their best sex in the city life. I was moving to small town America where I was pursuing my dream of journalism. And, you know, growing up too, I admired women journalists like Jane Polly and Katie Couric and Barbara Walters. And of course, course, Oprah, like we're all still living in the, in the era of Oprah. And I just assumed that it would, it was a women friendly profession. Little did I know that, you know, when I got into my first job, it would just be some women with some really sharp elbows. And so I, that's like my, my early arc. And then after I'm just going to skip a bunch of years and a lot of hard work and sacrifice and crappy hours, um, you know, I wound my way up with my dream job at CNN and I was covering the Trump inauguration and and the the one day like on the back of this flatbed truck and embedded in this Trump motorcade as he's going to the White House for the first time and then the very next day there I am in the middle of the women's march and seeing women coming together for a multitude of reasons for the first time in my life I was basically in the middle of this giant huddle so number one I realized something special was happening with women in America and I wanted in on it and I wanted to dedicate the next chapter of my career to it and then two I had my own like took my reporter hat off and was like well do would I show up here with a bunch of women? Do I even do I even have a huddle of women who would have shared a tank of gas to go to Washington with me? And the answer, Deirdre, is I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I knew that in that moment forward, I would need to activate my own huddle. And I want readers to learn how to do the same. Right. It's an important balance. My mom always tells me, no matter what you do, make sure you keep your girlfriends. And always. I mean, it's important. But when you're building your career, when you're working super hard, I remember, you know, when I first started working, I never saw my friends. Um, And it's a really hard thing to maintain. But I think as we get older, um, it hits home and you probably become more focused on it. But it is something we need for hard times. I mean, there's just some things 
a husband or a friend that's a guy or they just can't, they can't walk, be you know? everything to us <laughs> at all times. They no, just can't. Right. And right. also like, I think looking back to my twenties and early thirties, when I was super lonely and putting career first, and I don't regret that time, but I had amazing singular girlfriends, but they were living all over the country and they were becoming first time mothers or working on their own careers. And we just didn't have, I didn't have a huddle. I did right. not have a girl group, a tribe, a sisterhood in the way that I do now. And mm -hmm. it has changed my life. Right. I mean, time, time does help that out though. You meet people as you go along and then you kind of introduce them and they come together. You know, we don't, we're not born with a huddle, you know, I mean, I have a bunch of girlfriends from high school that are still friends and that's like a one in a million thing. Most people don't have that. I'm very fortunate, but as time goes on, I have uh, friends of, um, that I've made through my kids and school and, and you build as you go along. But, yeah. um, Anthony, are you there? I'm Tell listening. Us. I'm aging. I mean, you guys you are about? I'm no, not trying to, to interrupt what, the huddle. <laughs> what do you think about a girl huddle? Because I'm surrounded. Brooke, I don't know what your siblings are. I have a younger brother. So it's okay, the two so of us. Another, it's just a guy, another guy. I got, I'm surrounded by only guys. I have brothers, sons, and nephews. So wow. yeah. It's a lot of and testosterone, so, man. That's what I'm saying. I'm, so I'm interested in knowing what Anthony thinks about girl huddles. Cause I don't have any of that going on in the home place. And, and now Brooke is, is stuck with James. Is Pugsley a boy? Oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to say something that's obviously going to get Even her dog trouble. is a boy. I'm, no, I'm going to say, say something that's going to obviously get me in trouble. I uh -oh. feel that like there is a different way that women bond with each other than men. So obviously that will probably get me in trouble. Perhaps that's politically. No, no, this is super no. interesting. This is interesting. I, 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 I I, but I you have a big family. I bet you came from, I mean, I think it traditionally, right? I think men have for so long gotten together, whether it's playing sports or, you know, going and having a golf game and networking or having that happy hour. I, I think it just kind of has come naturally to you so, guys. So let me let me say something that's very stereotypical and very general. And then the both of you can yell at me, but this okay. has been my 57 year observation. <laughs> that men sort of bond in like sort of a hunter gathering mode. And so if we're fighting with each other, we sort of get over it pretty quickly. Mm. I feel like women have a little bit of a shell in the beginning, but then once they've shared some level of vulnerability with each other, mm, they become there. incredibly close. And in some ways their bond, their sororal bond is tighter than a fraternal bond because they've they've seen each other's vulnerability and then they fuse together and are in a complete huddle. Mm -hmm. now, I feel like men are more in like a bee swarm. Anyway, I don't know if that's going <laughs> to get you me feel canceled. Like, let me, let this me, is my let me, last let me follow salt up. talk. Anyway, follow Darcy knows that you're just outshining me every second oh, of this salt talk. No. So this is my last salt talk, but I just thought I would just point out that. And what is your observation of that, Brooke? Am I wrong in saying I that? Think, listen, I can only speak from my own experience, but I think you hit on the key word on vulnerability. And that is one of the the, the key pillars of, of having a huddle is showing up vulnerably. And also I would argue that yeah, women well, are that, really, I got that out of your book, by the way. Well, I mean, that, that well to done. Me was, yeah. Yes. I think, <laughs> but I think that's key. I mean, I'm a big Brene Brown follower and she talks a lot about vulnerability and courage. And I think you have to show up vulnerably, authentically, um, and you have to ask for help, which I think we as women, especially I look to my, my women friends who are mothers. I mean, women wear a lot of hats, right? Especially now in the pandemic, mothers, caretakers, in some cases, breadwinners, community leaders, suddenly at home teachers, there, there's a lot happening for women. And so 
I just think women uh, aren't really good at raising their hands and saying, hey, can you help me? But that's the whole, that's what part of the, 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 the magic within the huddle is when you decide to link arms with one another and help one another and show up vulnerably and ask for help. And if you've lost a job because of this horrible time we've been living in, like I believe your, your sisters will truly want to share the wealth and help you out. I think our culture loves to pit women against one another. Like think of all the movies and the Broadway shows and everything else, but that's not the, that's not the whole story. And that's, that's not the focus for me. It's the opposite. Do you think COVID um, kind of shined more of a light on this kind of thing, given the crisis that we're all in and the help we probably need more than ever now? I think it shined two lights. Number one, it showed that, you know, women and especially women of color were disproportionately affected by this pandemic and losing jobs and having to give something up as they were, you know, spinning a lot of plates at home number one, and acknowledging that. And just number two, I don't know about you, Deirdre, but for me, I've never been closer with my girlfriends than this pandemic. I totally took for granted the gift of connection and physically hanging out and taking girl trips and, you know, networking with a group of women in person. And so for me, I've really had this opportunity as we've been sitting still at home and flexing my huddling muscle, flexing the muscles of, you know, doing things like Zooming and Marco Polo and these technology things I was super not hip to prior to the pandemic. And now I think once we, my hope is that when we come out of this thing, that ultimately after flexing these muscles, women will really have space to kick ass and bring about change. And I'm really hopeful for that. What do you think? Well, I think so. I mean, I've never spoken to my friends as much as I have now. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because we're at home and we're like, hey, this is going on. My my son is going through this or my daughter's going through this. Are you going through this? Or, you know, you're around your husband all the time. He's home all day. Like, are you guys, are you okay? Are you, you know, on each other's nerves? Just bouncing stuff off of each other. Um, just ways to make like best castration is permanent. Brooke Baldwin castration (laughs) is permanent. There's always a threat of that here in the Scaramucci house, (laughs) but we've really uplifted each other. We've maneuvered and found ways to eventually see each other after many months. Um, and it was just so nice. You and your girlfriends. Yeah. And, you know, just to have to come together safely and have our kids interact and just for me or for them or for anyone just to talk to an adult, like I said in the beginning, I was half joking, but half not. I mean, um, it could be worse, but I spend most of the time talking to young people, which is great. Right. But sometimes right. Just no, but you to need to have to adult them. conversations. Right. I mean, to stay stimulated, to stay alive and happy. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've looked to them for that a lot. Can I ask you a follow-up on that, which is to, to your husband's point about vulnerability, like what kinds of, cause I think of my own text chain, which I didn't even have a group text chain with my, with before the ladies this. in my life before this, right. Before, before, right. Like the journey that was huddle. And I mean, we text about everything from, are we too old for jean shorts to <laughs> what we think about the elections no, the to, no. to, you know, mental health and depression through the pandemic to the racial reckoning in this country. Like nothing is off limits to, oh, our, we to our marriages. We talk about all of that. And and the interesting thing is we are coming from many different places ideologically, surprisingly That's enough. interesting. So we have had some really interesting conversations, whether it be about the vaccine, 
about quarantining, about how we're handling school. I mean, everything has been so interesting to hear people because we're so similar Mm. and in many ways, and we grew up around each other, but life has brought us to different places and we've made completely different choices during, during this whole thing. And it's just been so interesting to see. And also you're saying about vulnerability, being vulnerable to be honest about how we feel about certain things, whether it's the riots, um, you know, women's empowerment, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, the election. Um, and we've just been really honest without judgment, which I think judgment, without judgment. judgment is another thing. Vulnerability is one. And people yep. are afraid to be vulnerable because of judgment. And um, but not when you're in a safe space, like a huddle. Right. But judgment is not allowed to be honest um, as an adult um, navigating the waters of adulthood and meeting people. I have yet to meet many people at this stage in life that I've been able to break through. I think people assume things about each other. Um, Mm -hmm. They prejudge. And I think it's Mm -hmm. really inhibiting. I really do. Um, I think it stops a lot of people from gaining relationships and also Mm -hmm. just making differences because you're like so bound up that you don't, you don't get past a certain point. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that because you're pretty open and I try to be really open. And I, and I think I, I attract other women in my circles who are equally open. I, I don't, I'm trying to think of, I, I don't have any friends who are just sort of like myopic or singularly minded. I, I can't, I don't have time for that. And right. I come from, you know, I, I come from Georgia. I come from, you know, a lot of Republicans in my family and here I'm living in Manhattan, you know, surrounded by a lot of like left-leaning folks. And I, right. and I, I, I remember my mom, when I was a kid, she was always like, Brooke, you should be a judge. That was what she always <laughs> thought I should become. And instead I became this journalist. But similarly, like trying to maintain my objectivity and always listening to the the different sides and believing the truths in some cases lies somewhere in between. But I want to come back to a point you said about like your so your huddle is comprised of women who are of various ideological backgrounds, because that to me is another key point of a huddle is either a diverse ideological backgrounds or making sure, you know, members of your huddle don't all look like you. That no. is yeah, we're definitely so important. Like yeah. Well, it makes things more interesting to be, I mean, obvious. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, we're just, we're the same, but we're not. And it's been trying at some points. Like I'll, I'll tell Anthony, you know, like, I don't know if we could see so-and-so because they think, you know, differently mm. than we'd. And it's, you know, sometimes it's thrown up some obstacles, but at the end of the day, you still remain close. Um, and and that's basically what we've done, but it's just interesting. We're very different. And, um, one thing to say about you mm. is following you on Instagram. You do attract that because you're very open, uh, transparent. You're not always trying to, um, play a character. You're, you're very real. Thank like you. You'll go on after a workout. <laughs> you'll be like, you know, you keep not looking all together, not looking that's like why, this. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but like, that's cool because Thank that you. makes people know that they can be real around you or they can, you know, they can pick up something from you. I always pick up something from your posts because they're just, they're just honest and um, authentic. And I like that, obviously. Thank you, sister. Big fan. So, so Brooke, I want to ask something, you know, I, uh, Don Lemon wrote a book as well. Yeah. uh, uh, And John and I interviewed Don. He said something about the Trump era. It's not a political question. It's a sociological one. Yeah. He said that the Trump era exposed levels of, racism that was probably passive aggressive, ripped the cover off of it. Yeah. And now we've gotten to see things. And in a weird way, he thinks that will actually make things better 
because now we're having a full frontal conversation. Yep. Do you think something like that also happened for women and in terms of the progress that women totally. are making in the country as well? Totally. I, I, I go back to the women's March in 2017, the day after he was inaugurated and went to the white house for the first time. And I, I do, I am mindful of activist Tamika Mallory, who was on the stage, who said something to the effect of, you know, we are not here just because of one man. So I, I do agree with that. I think like any sort of moment in momentum is not all because of Donald Trump. I think having covered the 2015, 2016 presidential race and crisscrossing the country and being at rallies and showing up for various candidates, I just noticed women were showing up in ways I had never noticed in my career. And it wasn't just because they all were in it for Hillary. A lot of people were showing up for, a lot of women were showing up for Bernie Sanders. A lot of women were showing up for Donald Trump. I think that the, what was the, the final vote? It was like 52% of white women voted for Donald Trump. So I just noticed women showing up. And then I think at the end of the day, you had this like wave as a, as a result of the election and then came, you know, me too and time's up. And then we had never seen more women run for office in the 2018 midterms as we had before. And I remember going on Stephen Colbert in the wake of that. And we were talking about um, my series that I'd done here at CNN about how many of those women were Democrats. And I remember going on TV and saying, you know, we need more women in office left or right. And I was in touch with a couple of Republican women at the time who were saying it was really hard in the Republican Party. This was like 2018 to really break through because there were so many older white men in those, you know, dark, smoky rooms who weren't as progressive and open minded for these women candidates coming up and, and sharing the power with them. And, and they would even tell me anecdotes about how they were the candidate and they would be sitting at the table at a at a rally for themselves. And some of these guys would come up to the table and they'd be like, hi. Hey, what's your name and where's the candidate? You know, they just, it's, it's, a, they, this is their own personal experience. And so I think it was wonderful that after the 2020 election, that a number of Republican women won seats uh, on Capitol Hill. And so I, I do think that that momentum is shifting for Republican women as well. At the end of the day, we only make up a quarter of the seats in Congress and that number needs to improve. That's well said. I feel like I we're living in a weird time though. It's like, I'm not sure what's going on, but there seems to be a shift in many ways, health related, um, women's rights, just all these things. And so I'm just trying to figure out, are we living in the transitional period where we go through all the mess for <laughs> mm, like, are we in the mess right now yeah, are we to in make the it mess? better for the next generation? Right. Or will we ever, will we ever be living in a time where it's less messy and just yeah, but more don't natural? Like the mess? Don't you like the mess a little bit? Like the change? The I mean, I like the mess. I like the change, but I would like it to be this, the situation and the circumstances settled. to be settled and more natural because I feel like right now there's a tug of war and a push and pull with a lot of things. And I just feel like it's very unsettled. So I'm just wondering if we'll ever live in that time or will we see that time? I don't know. Do Who's think? got a crystal ball? Do you think? Who's got a crystal ball? I don't know. Well, I do you know. think we can make enough um, of a yeah. I hope so, Deirdre. I hope so. Um, I hope that women will 
it, it, at the end of the day, for, for me and for this book, what I heard from various, everyone from CEOs to politicians to Hollywood actresses to women athletes, at the end of the day, they want to make sure that women have a bigger table, that it's no longer women fighting for few seats at the the, the male table, but in fact, like, right. let's just build our own damn table. table. Right. And, um, I think that slowly, but surely that is happening. And I think one of the secrets to doing that is being a huddler and subscribing to this abundance mentality ethos. And I do hope that if I really want to create a movement of women subscribing to this versus the sharp elbow mentality so that I do believe we can reach what you're describing, where we do build this table and we have a table full of women from all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, ethnicities, everything. And it's sort of like adjacent to the men. And we need, you know, we started the whole whole conversation. You were reading the dedication to my husband because we need our men and we need our men to support the huddle. So hopefully, yes, in our lifetime, we will, we will have built this big, beautiful table for, for women. Um, it's just a matter of everyone jumping on and going with it. Do you think women that are in power right now are doing enough to, to make that kind of happen? Or do you think it still could be worked on? I mean, I know there are obviously people that stick out in our mind that are always moving forward with this, but, um, I feel like there could be more. I'm sure there's a mix. I can only speak to the women I interviewed in this book. And so the women I interviewed in this book are all in it for everyone to win it. You know, Mm -hmm. they're all, if they're not, you know, many of them have the access to power and are then, you know, as Megan Rapinoe famously said, are throwing down their, their ladders for, for younger women coming along. Um, But sure. I mean, haven't you like in, in my own career, I have experienced those women who are not the women's women who are icy and want to have their sharp elbows and hold on to that lone woman position up top. And it's like, on the one hand, you sort of are like, listen, man, I understand where you are and why you're so icy and, and don't want to help other women because you've had to claw girlfriend. You have had to work your ass off to, to get to where you are. But then I think, why aren't you, now that you have this power, like help others, help others achieve just a slice of what you have. Yeah. I think there's still, if I'm just being realistic, I think there's still a mix. What do you think? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. No, that's what I was saying. Even just right now I'm not working. I did experience that when I was working. Um, but even just navigating, um, moms or whatever, I don't, not to stereotype or whatever, but yeah, just interesting you know, it's very hard for me to understand. And Anthony, you know, I talked to him about it all the time and he's like, well, for some reason, women are intimidated by other women. And I Mm. don't know what it is. Like they automatically assume you are not going to be nice or you, they automatically assume that you don't like them. Mm. And there's something that we are, I don't know if we, women can be the worst to one another. Can't we? Yes, very much. But I am not under, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out, is it a taught, are we, is it like a survival thing or is it something innate or something that we're taught? Um, but I, I'm, I'm sure it's a combination of all those things, but I just wish we could, but people like you are, because you have a platform you're showing people how to be successful, um, brilliant, attractive, and not um, too cool for school. Like right. people still approach you. And- Darcy, could you imagine if I was calling Brooke Baldwin successful and attractive <laughs> on the salt talk? I mean, that would be it for me, right? 
Anthony's the head of HR here at Skybridge. Yeah, that would be to keep things very non-essential. I would take it as a compliment, Mr. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Brooke. Um, Well, there's some of that, too. That's an interesting thing I wanted to ask Brooke about. Um, I think sometimes we are striking, we're not striking enough of a balance between, um, and I'll get all Tony Robbins here, but like (laughs) female energy and male energy, because I do believe, um, and you and I are born around the same time, that there is a distinct difference. And sometimes, and it doesn't mean- Distinct difference between what? Male energy and female Mm, energy. Okay. And I think sometimes we need to keep a little bit of that because sometimes I feel like we have like an overbite where we're trying to make everybody exactly the same. Um, So like what Anthony was saying, if he complimented you- Mm. I personally would never get offended if somebody comes. No, I wouldn't take it as a compliment. Right. But I feel like, you know, when I was coming onto this, I'm thinking, what can people say? Not particularly in this conversation, but what doesn't offend somebody? What is still funny? You know, I was just thinking about the time we live in and and you face that every day because you have to be on TV every day and, and ask questions off the cuff. Like, how do you know you're not offending somebody now? I feel like we are overly sensitive in some ways. Gosh, I mean, that's a whole other conversation and I am certainly not an expert in it, but um, I mean, I try to just maintain objectivity and, you know, I, my, 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 my gut just knows if I'm being offended. And and I think the bigger thing for me is if I'm being offended to just speak up and say something about it. But I think you're asking like, is the, has the the pendulum swung too far and that people are getting so offended and it's this like hyper PC culture. And when did that become a thing? And when can the pendulum swing back? And I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing because we're, you and I are living in a zone and a zip code where we transferred somewhere in between where when we first started our careers, it was like borderline mad men ish still, Mm -hmm, you know, still mm -hmm, acceptable. mm -hmm. Um, I worked on a trading floor and it was insane. Um, and then now right, you like experienced it. You were, you got, you had the ick. Totally. And, um, and now I'm like, I don't think anybody could say anything anymore. And I, I haven't been in an office environment, but it's just, it's really at the opposite end of the spectrum. So I just find it fascinating mm-hmm. that that has happened in probably a time period, a period of 15 years. But don't you think that it le- like, and I, and I hear you loud and clear. And I feel like what I'm hearing is a little bit of an eye roll of like, come on, you know, can somebody just say somebody's attractive? I think that there are many, many shades of what you're describing, but yes, at least I right. would prefer the pendulum to be swinging more on the let's be appropriate side versus right. the, Hey, you're a hot chick working on the trading <laughs> floor. And yeah. I'm going to be really inappropriate right now. And it's going right. to be swept under the rug because it's 1987, you know, right. like, yeah. I, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. No, I agree. I just, I just don't. Brooke, 2007 and possibly yeah. 2017 on Wall Street. Yeah. 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 Wow. Just I've just not been around the Wall Street culture. I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine. I can't well, imagine. I always say that there's a, there's a, what you talking about, like, you know, intuitively when you're being offended or not. Yeah. I, I've, we, we have four. Oh, Anthony sons. has a great saying. What is no, it? We have four sons. And I tell my adult sons, a woman knows right away, charming versus creepy yeah. right away. You can yeah. tell a woman her dress looks great. You look great tonight. You're saying it totally complimentary yeah. Yeah. without any, you know, affront or anything like that. But then you could say this same sort of thing in this sort of leering 
weirdo staring way. in the wrong places. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden the woman is like, okay, this guy's out to lunch, you know, yep, so down 911. I, I, I'm right. hoping that we can keep the 5,000 year conversation between men and women. Yeah. Make it more appropriate, make women feel comfortable and make women feel safe. But the yeah. flip side is we also should be able to talk to each other in a way that is authentic without agree. it being offensive. Does that agree. make sense? Totally. Totally agree. It up perfectly. Totally agree. Yeah. When you, when you write in the book about growing up and learning in an all woman's environment, tell us about that because I think it's a fascinating thing. And I think it's somewhat helpful to women to think about it in that perspective. What, tell us the, your insights there. Well, I think I wrote, I wrote, I wanted to make sure I wrote a whole chapter about all girls learning environments um, and mentioned a little bit about my own. And I tell this story. I did gymnastics for years and years. And there was one point when I was, I don't know, I was probably like eight or nine when I'm just like, I'm a sweater. I sweat. I work hard. I sweat. It's not cute. It's still not cute, but I've embraced it. All right. And I'm this eight or nine year old and my, my leotard and my spandex or whatever. And I'm, you know, doing the things around the bars and I'm so- soaking wet. And I remember this like precious bun in her hair, not a hair out of place, not the sweat stains under her armpits that I was rocking at the time. And I remember her saying to the coach, like, coach, why does Brooks sweat so much? And I was mortified. I mean, I could still feel it now. And she turns to the girl and just quips back because Brooke works twice as hard as you. And that was just a snapshot of what I remember from my youth, but being surrounded by girls doing gymnastics or girls in dance or whatever other sports I was, I was doing at the time. And, and what I what I write about in the book is how now, if you're, if you have little girls, how there is a, such a broader spectrum of opportunities for them to step up to bat and fail and try, try again. Rashma Sujani, amazing woman, incredible Ted talk, founded girls who coach. She talks a lot in her Ted talk about how when boy boys are brought up to jump to the fifth rung of the monkey bar, fall and jump up again, like be messy, fail. It's fine. Try again. And girls are brought up to be a bit more perfect. And she wanted to start girls who code. So to create a safe space for just girls who would do something really, really hard, like learn, learn to code and fail and, and create that space in which they can do that. And, and also build that like precious, you know, those early days of confidence in, in girls. And so I read about in my book, other examples of that, where I talked to Carly Kloss, the famous supermodel who is such a huddler too. And I'd have her whole backstory, but she took me inside one of her coding camps, Code with Classy. And I met all these girls who were doing something very similar. I mean, they'd never, some of them didn't have access to computers. Certainly none of them had learned to code before and creating a safe space where they can raise the, raise their hand without boys around and, you know, feeling, feeling like they could fail and then tr- succeed. And similarly, Reese Witherspoon does this awesome film young filmmaker lab with a bunch of girls in LA once a year with the help of AT&T. And so all these girls get to come out and they, they're carrying around all this fancy equipment and they, they shoot a film and they all take turns playing different roles, um, hosting the thing, shooting the thing, editing the thing. And it's the similar, it's the similar idea. And just how nowadays having girls, and I know you guys have boys, but having, having girls, having these opportunities to fail and, and, you know, just from the, all the spectrum of things that are out there, it's just awesome. 
Well, having boys, I feel like we're part of this. Like you said, we have yeah. to have men to support. Yes. And um, I was reading something yesterday. It was a, um, somebody wrote about their husband and they were saying thank you to his mom for teaching him to be somebody who uh, supported her and, and let her fail, cheered her on when she succeeded. And it made me think, you know, we have our responsibility as uh, parents of boys to raise people yes. who will do that. And also, um, you know, cheer on the girl, like do what I'm doing, go for it. You know, um, like our young son is seven and he always says, I love this girl in my class. Like she plays Fortnite, you know, <gasps> and he thinks <gasps> so cool. And she's yeah. like, I don't know any girls that do that mom. And that is so cool. Ugh. And um, she's the one girl he invited to his birthday party. That's and I awesome. want him to to always be that way, like do what I'm doing. That's awesome. So, um, I think as parents, as adults, we just have to always set an example, whether you're raising, uh, girls or boys or whether you nieces and nephews, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you have to set them straight, you know, that they can all do the same stuff and root each other, root each other on. Yep. So, um, we want you to talk a little bit about your mom. mm. Tell us about, tell us about your mom. It's the original huddle, as she said. Well, Christy B. was born in 1949. No, um, <laughs> she's one of five sisters. Grandfather, oh, wow. her, my grandfather, her her father was a Presbyterian minister, and they grew up in Miami. And yeah, my mom met my dad. He was at Georgia Tech. She was at Agnes Scott, two Atlanta, Atlanta colleges. They met, dated, married. Voila, here I am. And, um, I've always been really, really tight with her. My dad was a management consultant with Deloitte. He was out of town Monday through Friday. And I just totally grew up thinking that was normal to have a dad on a plane somewhere exotic Monday through Friday. And I remember he would come home and I would like rifle through his bags for all the little trinkets from the hotel rooms and the change. And my mom was my, my original huddle. And she was someone who, you know, I was like a four-year-old kid doing backflips off the neighborhood pool. And I'm sure the parents were like, who is this girl and where are her parents? But my mom supported it and, and cheered me on. And, you know, as a little girl would, you know, let me, she'd crawl into bed with me and tell me stories in which I was the protagonist and I was, you know, um, being brave from whatever story she would tell me. And that's the stuff that matters. Those are the building blocks of that. The confidence is a, a young girl. And then just coming through this crazy, amazing, challenging profession of TV news and having a moment when I was, living back at my parents' house at the age of 29 because I moved to take this chance on becoming a correspondent at at CNN. And um, of course, it was right in the middle of the recession. It was 2008. So I landed in Atlanta and CNN basically said, hey, we think you're really great and we're really excited to have you work for us. But yeah, all all the positions are frozen. So hang tight. And I ended up working odd hours at various other networks within the building for a while and had a moment, which I describe in the end of my book, which my mom and I affectionately refer to as the yellow chair moment where I'm living at my parents' house and I'm having a giant cry in this sunshine yellow chair in her bedroom. And I'm not a quitter, but I was on the precipice of quitting. I just thought I left a perfectly good job in Washington, DC for this to take this leap. And it wasn't really panning out for me. And she refused to let me quit. And that is 
my mom in a nutshell. And we've had several yellow chair moments since. Um, and she's even become closer to her sisters in the later years. And she's my, she's the best. Do you think coming from a family with that many uh, sisters, she was so um, aware of what it took to be like a brave girl because she was surrounded by so many girls? I'm sure that has to help her, right? I think she came from a time where they didn't have much. She was a Presbyterian minister. The church would provide the house. She had to bunk with another sister at all times. They had to take care of the younger sisters. It was very Southern in the way of, okay, don't make a fuss. If something's going on, like just keep it under the surface. You know, it was of the like child of the fifties. Just don't talk about it. That kind of thing. And she actually wasn't super close with her sisters. Like growing up, I remember she had, we had this one neighbor who she was really close with. But beyond that, I, I never remember having, you know, huddles of women over to our home to drink wine or, or anything like that. And so I didn't grow up seeing that. Unlike maybe some of my other girlfriend's moms who, who did have that. And I think only later in life has she um, grown in her own way. And then of course, having her daughter writing an entire book about this, I think she's become much more intentional about really becoming close with her sisters and having a, an all women's Agnes Scott book club and things like that. So now she, she really walks the walk. It's so interesting as we, we keep changing as we go along. Isn't it? Yeah. Which brings me to my next question. So what do you, doing now i know you're leaving cnn soon which speaking is of taking leaps yeah. i know so what are I, you off to do i am trying to figure it out <laughs> if you guys know anyone in executive positions at streaming networks um i a couple a couple of things i first of all this has been such a privileged position and truly a dream job that i have earned every single day and has been like beyond. I'm going to be waterworks walking out of this building next week. Um, but I have surrounded myself with these trailblazing women and they have, I can't, I can't hold space with them and not be the bravest version of myself and the bravest version of myself. I remember my dad telling me when I was like, just starting out in TV, he was like, Brooke, when you, as soon as you get too comfortable somewhere, you got to go. And while this has been such a privilege to have this platform, I got to go, I got to take a leap. I got to do my backflip off the high dive. And I want to stay in journalism, stay in the space of storytelling, like the deep end of storytelling, having time to really sit with whomever it may be, um, famous people, ordinary, extraordinary Americans, uh, tell their stories, shine lights in places where it's not so bright. And, um, do, I do believe that streaming is like the next generation of storytelling and having that space to do that. So I have been working with a production company. I am pitching some folks very soon, some ideas. Um, so that number one is a dream, the next dream. And number two, after I announced I was leaving, um, the Ellen DeGeneres show called me up and asked me to come to LA to guest host that talk show. And it was such a bucket list check. And I would love to be able to go back. And I think something in that space could be interesting too. Yeah. Stay tuned. Well, that was like major. That's a major thing. If you're going to try it out, you might as well do it on Ellen. Right. Right? Miss, Miss Deirdre, hold up the book. Let's show off the book before we blast out of here. Look at the book. So this is the book by Brooke Baldwin and uh, Brooke, we are, uh, 
Super proud to know you. Mm. We're super proud to uh, be friends with you. Love you guys. And, uh, you know, I sometimes get outshined by John Dorsey and it pisses me <laughs> off. But the fact that I have the two of you outshining me today doesn't piss me off at all. I just want to point that out to John Dorsey before we break. I'm just oh, glad okay. there was some makeup left for Deirdre in the house, you know, given that you were going to be on camera. <laughs> there was today. barely any makeup and there certainly wasn't any Botox left for Deirdre Brooke. I can t- I can assure you that. Okay. Oh my God. I, I can't, guys. I can't drink without a straw, but the top of my forehead doesn't move. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> right. But in, Amazing. All, in all seriousness, Brooke, we wish you great success with the book. Thank you so much for joining us on. Thank you guys so Talks. much. Thanks and, for uh, we're looking me forward to the next party, act guys. of your career. Can't wait. Of course. Thank you. Stay tuned. John, you want to take mm-hmm. us out of here? Yep. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk for Deirdre Scaramucci's uh, steamed debut here on Salt Talks. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this episode or any of our previous episodes, you can access them all on our website, salt.org backslash talks, or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. Uh, please follow us on social media. We're most active on Twitter. You should also follow Brooke, by the way. Uh, she's a great follow on social media, as Deirdre, I think, alluded to before we went on the show or during the show. Uh, but we're at Salt Conference on Twitter. We're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. I'm the proud father of a daughter with another daughter on the way. So I love mm. seeing these types of resources and, and we'll make this required reading uh, for my daughters as they grow up. So please spread the word about these Salt Talks. Topics like this are especially dear to our heart. You know, Anthony has a daughter as well. So the, these issues are very important yeah, to us. No, but No question. On behalf of Anthony, Deirdre, the entire SALT team uh, signing off for today, we hope to see you back here soon again on SALT Talks.